Good morning once again, and welcome to those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning. Pastor Joel, you just must be a popular person, you know? Oh yeah, Jesus just, kind of like Jesus, they just follow you, right? They just follow you wherever you go. Thank you for, uh, for going up there and welcome those upstairs. Um, Doug and Kathy McLean, who are missionaries in Germany, many of us know them, uh, will be here at First Church on March 19th. On that Sunday, during our worship service, and then afterwards in the ministry center, they will be sharing with us what they are doing and their experiences. As we all know, the McLeans are very passionate servants. The love they have for the Lord and helping others is immense. Kathy had a large influence on our young people when she was a teacher here at New Knoxville. Kathy taught high school math and German. I suppose it's been around 10 years, maybe, maybe more, since they sold all their possessions and moved to Germany. Presently, they are spending much of their time with refugees, which are mostly Muslim. <clears throat> In 2016, there were three people from our church, and then in 2017, there were nine people from our church that went to Germany and assisted them with projects to help them with their ministry. Um, Some of you, I'm sure, are getting it, but if you're not, the McLeans do send out a monthly email newsletter, and in their newsletter, they share a lot of what they're doing along with progress and challenges to share Jesus' love with the people in their area. Doug and Kathy will be in the U.S. for a few months. A primary reason for this trip to the U.S. is because they've had a drop in their financial support and need to remedy that for them to continue their work in Germany. Their, um, this is their recent prayer request, which we can join in with them. They ask for a safe return to the U.S. in time with family, that God would build their financial picture back to being fully funded and direct them to whom he desires to join their team, that God would begin to build a youth and young adult ministry, that God would continue to grow their ministry to refugees. If you don't get their newsletter and want to receive it, check with them when they're here or uh, or the church or or myself. We can help you uh, uh, reach out to them. And and so in in a couple weeks here, it would be a special time for us to get an update and reconnect with them again when they're here in First Church in two weeks. We will now have our call to worship, so if you would please rise and join me. The call to worship is taken from Psalms chapter 11 and 12. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths belong beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor? Who has ever been given to God, that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. With the praise team um, leading us, we will now sing, See a victory, here I am to worship, and worthy of it all.
you to join me in prayer. Lord God, we come here this morning to worship you, Lord. We gather for no other purpose. We set aside our distractions, our worry, our busy lives to focus on you for this hour. But to be completely honest, Lord, you deserve so much more than just one hour a week. You deserve our entire lives because you are worthy of it all. You created us. You are the one who sustains us. And we trust that everything we have in this life Even our very breath comes from you. You, Lord, are worthy of all of the praise we could ever bring. All praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. This morning we pray for Pastor Tori. We thank you for the message that you've placed on her heart. May you give her a confident boldness to speak your word today. And may all of us be receptive to the truth of the gospel that we hear proclaimed. Lord God, we also come to you this morning with prayers and concerns on our hearts and on our minds. We come here knowing, Lord, that there are families and individuals in our church and our community represented in our bulletin through the prayers and concerns list. And so we lift up these concerns to you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise because of your faithfulness, because of your character, because of your goodness. And so it's in full confidence that we come to you with these concerns. We trust that you are good even when our circumstances uh, are, are difficult, Lord. We trust that you are able to provide in miraculous ways and also, Lord, through the, through the uh, provision of your church. And so we ask, Lord, that you would answer the prayers of your people according to your will. And may you enable us and empower us to be the answer to that prayer whenever possible. And so we praise you, Lord, for what you are yet to do in our lives. And we give you the glory and the honor now, even for the things that we have not seen done and accomplished, because we trust that you are able to do that. Lord, we also gather this day to pray for those in authority over us. And we lift up our state leaders. We thank you. Lord, for the privilege it is to pray for them, for our governor, for our legislature, 
For the courts and other elected and appointed officials, may you give them wisdom beyond their means as they lead here in this state. And may you give them a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and that they may be filled. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and I want to take this time to invite our children forward for a children's chat with Mr. Clinton. We're going to call an audible on that. I could use the headset the whole time. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Think I can get this thing on? What do you think? Let me try here. It's been sitting in my barn all winter, so it's a little aromatic in there. Hang on a second. Can you hear me? Is, it, is this better here? How's that? All right. Well, today, well, what does this guy look like? What do we got here? A helmet. That's right. Do any of you guys wear helmets when you when you ride a bike? Sometimes. Anybody uh, play hockey and wear a helmet? Anybody uh, a firefighter wear a helmet? No. Anybody cut down trees and wear a helmet? Oh, oh, we got one. Okay. Well. This is my motorcycle helmet, and why, why do you think I would want to wear a helmet? What does it do? Keeps your head safe? Yeah, from what? Go ahead. If I fall down, that's right. That'll help me if I, yeah, if I ever crash or fall down, yep. If a tree falls on me while I'm riding, well, yes, that might, it might help. We'll see what happens there, yeah. Um, believe it or not, I think I've like, I got a couple scratches up here on top. Like I've hit a bird before, you know, you ever get a bird with a car when you're driving with mom or dad and birds too slow and you smack them kind of spooky. Anyway, um, I scraped most of the bugs off and things like that. So, you know, a helmet is great and you're exactly right because it keeps our, <sighs> can't breathe with this thing on. Um, it helps keep our head safe and our head's a pretty important part of our body. Well, today in the scripture, believe it or not. Does this helmet keep me safe from mean words I tell other people? Does it keep... Oh, they won't be able to hear me. That's perfect. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, that's good. That's great. Does this helmet protect me from getting in trouble if I tell a lie? No. Well, yeah, if someone's yelling at me about it, I won't hear them keep me safe on a motorcycle and that's it well today in the scripture in the bible we're going to hear about a special helmet called the helmet of salvation a salvation helmet now what could that possibly mean telling the truth and stuff well yeah so salvation is the idea that we are safe and protected just like a motorcycle helmet we are safe and protected from the sins and the bad yucky things we do in our lives so today, I want you guys to listen. It's, hey, it's coming up soon. Mr. Zach's going to read the Bible story all about the armor of God, and he's going to talk about the helmet of salvation. And then Pastor Tori's going to come up and talk some more. So even though you're going to be coloring, and maybe it's going to be a little bit of snack time like it is in my pew, make sure we're just keeping our ears open, because there's going to be lots of good stuff today about the helmet of salvation. Motorcycle helmet can't keep you safe, but you're going to hear that in God's word, and by having a relationship with Jesus, we can keep ourselves safe, just like a helmet can keep you safe on the road. Can we fold our hands and we're going to say a quick prayer, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing these young hearts and minds to us this morning. Lord, just continue to bless them and pour yourself into them that their wisdom and their knowledge and their love of you can grow. Dear Lord, bless us as we go from this place and in everything we do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Clinton, and thanks, kids. Uh, this morning, 
for our offering, our offering is going to go towards the general fund. Um, but during our time of offering, the praise team is going to lead us in worship with a new song. Um, so you might, you might not know this. You might have heard it before. It's called Sound Mind. Um, and this song really fits well with our sermon this morning and our scripture um, and the helmet of salvation. And so uh, if you know this song, sing. If you don't know this song and you just kind of want to listen to the words, um, that's okay too. My invitation to you is to um, take these words and just make them your prayer during our offering time this morning. So at this time, I invite the deacons to come forward and collect the offering.
may be seated. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his, holy, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come and to hear from your word, Lord, um, and to absorb your truth this morning. God, I pray that as we talk about the helmet of salvation, that you would remind us uh, of the importance of being saved, of being in you, Lord, and that you offer us life in you, a new identity and a new way to live. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we dig into the helmet, that you would give me words to speak, that I would be your mouthpiece this morning, and that you would be big and I would be little. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. So we've been studying the armor of God for over a year now, uh, and we've got three more pieces to cover, if you can believe it. Uh, So we have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and then the power of prayer, because prayer is so important, and it holds every single piece of this armor together. And so we're getting close to the finish line, but we're not quite there yet. I have to admit that it has been kind of nice to know that when Pastor Joel asked me to preach, I know exactly what's coming next, and I don't have to go searching for what to preach on. So that's been kind of nice. But today we're going to be talking about the helmet of salvation. But before we get into the helmet and its functions, uh, we need to have a correct understanding of salvation. You know, that salvation is one of those churchy words that gets thrown around a lot, but it can be really poorly explained. We have the tendency to view salvation as eternal fire insurance. We treat it like it's a one-time event in the life of a believer that secures our eternal future in heaven and keeps us from going to hell, right? Eternal fire insurance. I know when I first gave my life to Christ, that's kind of what I thought it was. I gave my life to Jesus when I was about seven years old, and my family was living in Georgia at the time, and we attended a megachurch in Georgia. And one of the perks of going to a megachurch is that the kids' ministry also had a mega budget. And so they had, you know, lights and flashy things and all of that stuff. But I remember one day walking into Sunday school, and they had zoo animals. And I'm not talking like petting zoo animals. I'm talking like mountain lions, monkeys, big old snakes. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And so these animals were somehow used in the lesson that day um, to talk about salvation in Jesus. And I have no idea how they got from zoo animals to salvation and heaven to an altar call, but I went up for the altar call. And I was so excited because I just knew I wanted Jesus in my life. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, being a Christian meant that more zoo animals would come into Sunday school. But I did want Jesus in my life. So I went up for the call, and I gave my life to Jesus, not knowing what that decision meant. I didn't realize that it was more than just, I get to go to heaven someday. I didn't realize that I was a new creation in Jesus, that I was given a new identity, and that that decision was supposed to impact everything about my life and the way I lived each day. I just wanted the animals in heaven. 
And so looking back at that moment, I realized that I was kind of given the eternal fire insurance version of salvation. And none of what I taught was taught was wrong. It was just incomplete. See, our salvation does save us from sin, right? And it does save us from death. And it does is, is secure our eternal future with Christ. And, and praise God for all of those things. Those are awesome things. But it also comes with blessings and benefits and implications on how we're to live each day as born-again believers. And so as believers in Christ, we're given new life in him in a new identity. And if nobody's ever told you what that identity is, I want to take a moment this morning to tell you that. So in Christ, here is who you are. You are a child of God. You are completely forgiven. You are the temple in which God dwells. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are chosen, holy, and dearly loved by your Father. You have direct access to your Father through the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. You are a joint heir with Christ, and you are a conqueror in Christ. Absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and created to sing his praises. And, you know, I wanted to remind you of those things, because sometimes people haven't heard of those things, one. But two, it's really important that we know who we are in Christ. And all of that stuff that I just mentioned about who you are in Christ comes directly from Scripture. And it's important to know your identity because knowing our identity in Christ is part of our weaponry. And that's what Priscilla Stryer says um, in her Armor of God study. She says, your identity is part of your weaponry. Putting on the helmet of salvation is akin to knowing who you are in Christ fortifying your thinking with it, and living in a way that's congruent with it. See, we need to know who we are in Christ. Because knowing and understanding who we are in him is meant to, and meant to give us an entirely new way of thinking and living as we seek to become more like Christ each day. You know, it's important to remember that when Paul wrote the, to the church of Ephesus, that he was writing to born-again believers. These people had prayed the sinner's prayer. They had, they'd come up for the altar call, and they had made Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. But Paul wanted them to know that receiving salvation was really just step one. Now they needed to choose to live in light of that salvation every single day. And that decision is a decision of the mind. And our mind is the control center for our thoughts and our attitudes, and our understandings, and the things that we believe. And so when we become a born-again believer, we don't just get a whole new way of thinking. We actually have to, have to adapt the, a Christ-like way of thinking, um, and it doesn't just happen all at once. We have to make a conscious decision each day to align our thinking and our decisions and our actions with Christ. And that's why we need the helmet of salvation. It's one of the most important pieces of the armor because it protects the most vulnerable part of our body, which is the mind. And living in light of our salvation is a decision of the mind, and so that's where that helmet comes in. A Roman soldier's helmet was designed for protection. It was made of iron. It was decorated with ornate bronze details. It had a colorful plume coming out of the, the top of it made of horsehair, and it provided full coverage for the head. And it had uh, metal cheek guards, it had a net guard jutting out of the back of it, and it was padded with leather or sponge materials on the inside for extra protection and, and absorption, right? And so the helmet was made to withstand any of the fiery darts that got past the shield, but it was also to protect their heads from the swing of a sword. And so it gave them the confidence that they needed to engage the enemy face-to-face, -face, up close and personal, knowing that the most important part of their body was fully protected. And so Paul saw the function and the protection of this helmet and realized that our salvation does the same for us, too. So the soldier's helmet was designed really to protect their, their heads from one thing, and that was the broadsword. Now, the broadsword was a lethal weapon in that day. It was a three- to four-foot-long sword, with a massive handle, and it was so heavy that a soldier had to use two hands to wield that weapon. And one blow from his sword usually meant instant death, uh, but not if you had your helmet and your protective gear in place. And so I'm sure, you know, taking a sword to the head probably didn't feel good, but if they had their helmet on, they could be a little bit more confident that they wouldn't, you know, instantly die. Um, 
And so a good soldier never went into battle without his helmet. And we shouldn't either because we have an enemy and we have it thickly designed to attack our minds. And it's pretty much guaranteed that if you are committed to living out your salvation and actively living in light of that and living as a born-again believer, that Satan is going to come after your mind time and time again. And our helmet is designed to protect us against that and to help us to fight off those attacks. And so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the way that Satan attacks our minds, and then we're going to talk about how we can use that helmet to fight back. And I believe that there are three ways that Satan attacks our mind the most, and those are doubt, discouragement, and deception. And all of these three, all three of these attacks have the potential to build off of each other and to really wreak havoc on our mind and our relationship with Christ. You know, the first way that Satan tries to get into our heads is with doubt. And the two main things that he wants us to doubt are our salvation and our identity in Christ. And Satan has used this attack time and time again on believers all throughout Scripture. But he also used it on Jesus when he was in the wilderness being tempted in Matthew 4. It says in Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, Satan tried to get Jesus to doubt his identity two different times in that passage with one tiny word, if. If you are the Son of God, then. If you are the Son of God, then prove it. And Jesus, Satan knew who Jesus was, but he wanted Jesus to prove his identity by giving in to the temptations in front of him, rather than just trusting in what God has said about who he is. And even though Jesus is fully God, he was also fully human, too. He struggled with all of the same human emotions and doubts and temptations that we do. And so I'm sure that it was tempting for him to give in to those, that, that doubt to question his God-given identity as the Son of God. But Jesus knew who he was, he knew scripture, and he fought back with it. You know, sometimes it's hard to believe in our God-given identity, too. It can be hard to believe that we are forgiven, that we are saved, that we're chosen, that we're loved by God, because we don't always feel that way, right? We sin, we mess up, and sometimes we mess up so badly that like, there's no way that God could possibly love us. And in those moments, Satan jumps at the chance to start sowing seeds of doubt in your mind, right? He wants you to question your identity and your salvation, and the enemy ultimately wants you to doubt because he knows that doubt can give way to discouragement. And di discouragement can do some serious damage in your mind. Now, I don't know if you've been following along with the Bible in a year plan or not, but at this point, you should have read through Exodus. If you haven't, just keep going. Um, but I love the book of Exodus. It is probably one of my favorite books in all of Scripture. And every time I read Exodus, it's kind of like God holds a, holds a mirror up to my face and says, do not laugh at these Israelites too much, Tori, because you are just like them. And I kind of am. I mean, I get hangry, I get thirsty, I get complaining and whining and all of those things. And I, I'm probably not the only one, right? <laughs> but in Exodus 17, the Israelites were thirsty and they needed some water. And their lack of water caused them to start whining and complaining. And then they got really discouraged really fast. And so it says this, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this inside of the elders of Israel, and he called this place Massa and Mirabah, 
because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So the word discouragement means to lose confidence in someone or something. So the Israelites were thirsty, and their thirst illuminated their lack of confidence in God. They were not confident that God would provide for their basic needs, even though God had performed many miracles using water for them. And had their minds not been clouded by discouragement, they might have remembered that not two chapters earlier, God parted the waters of the Red Sea for them to escape from Egypt. And he also closed those very same waters on Pharaoh and his armies when they tried to come after the Israelites. God then turned bitter water into sweet and drinkable water for them to drink as he led them out of Egypt. And the Israelites literally got to see the salvation and deliverance of the Lord with their very own eyes. But time and time again, their hunger and their thirst in this, in this example would just catapult them into a place of discouragement. And it made them question whether or not God was truly with them. You see, discouragement comes in many forms. It can come in small things like being hungry or thirsty, but it can also come in bigger things too. But it's all meant to make us lose confidence in God and his work in our lives. See, Satan used the thirst of the Israelites that they were experiencing to discourage them to the point where they questioned God's presence and provision in their lives. And don't you think that Satan wants to do that with us too? Just like he did with the Israelites, he wants you to focus so much on the things that you are lacking, the things that aren't going well in your life, or the pain that you're walking through, or whatever it is that you're experiencing. He wants you to focus on that so much that you end up questioning God's presence and his provision in your own life too. But discouragement is a really dangerous place to live in because it can have uh, detrimental effects on our faith. Discouragement is an open door to deception, and deception is another way that Satan attacks our minds. See, the enemy is the father of lies, and when he, twi- he twists truth, he speaks, and when he speaks, he can only lie, and when he acts, he only deceives. And so when the Israelites were thirsty and discouraged, Satan introduced the lie that, well, God must not be with you, and they believed it, and they believed that God led them out into the desert to die And the Israelites eventually fell into the sin of unbelief because of their discouragement. And they turned away from God, and a whole generation of people could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. That was caused by discouragement first. See, our minds are really vulnerable when we're discouraged because we just want to feel better, right? We're often desperate for anything and everything that will help us to feel better, and the enemy jumps at the opportunity to deceive us in those moments. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. See, when we're doubting and when we're discouraged, we can develop itchy ears, right? And our itchy ears want to hear messages that are going to help us feel better with whatever is plaguing us, right? But the problem is that our itchy ears don't usually lead us to truth. And sometimes Satan uses that to tempt us into believing false teaching. And one example I see of this, that um, this false teaching that many Christians believe, is the lie of God won't give me more than I can handle. Now this lie sounds biblical, but they were like, yeah, there's no way that a good and loving God would ever give his people more than they can ever handle. But it's a lie. And there's been teachings and preachings on this very lie. But the problem is, is it's not even found in scripture. It's not even biblical. And so if you read through scripture, there are so many examples where God does give his people way more than they think they can handle because we're not meant to walk through this life alone. We're not meant to handle things on our own. And that's why we need Jesus. He will always give us more than we think we can handle so that we rely on him more, right? And when in those moments where we feel completely weak and like we can't handle things on our own, he is strong, right? And he can help us through those moments of doubt and discouragement uh, because that's who he is. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, especially in my generation, that have left the church, And I recently listened to a sermon by Jackie Hill Perry on this very topic. It's a really good sermon. Check it out if you get the chance. 
And in her sermon, she says that she believes young people are leaving the church because we haven't given them the tools to deal with doubt and discouragement, to wrestle with God in doubt and discouragement. And so all of a sudden, those things hit, and they have no idea what to do. And so they're like, well, maybe God isn't real. Maybe I can't believe him. Maybe he isn't good. And guess what? This problem isn't just for young people. There are people that don't believe that God is big enough to handle their doubt or the discouragement or whatever it is they're walking through. And so they walk away from him completely. But it doesn't have to be this way. Because we have been given the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation is what we need to use to wrestle with things like doubt and discouragement. You know, the problem is when we start believing in false teachings because we're struggling or we're ready to walk away from God, is that a lot of those false teachings, they don't sound bad. And they don't always throw up like spiritual red flags of, oh wait, that's not true, right? Um, And sometimes they even sound biblical and they sound godly or good, but they're not. They're meant to deceive us into believing lies about God. And Satan loves to introduce those things when we're doubting and when we're discouraged. Remember, Satan knows the power of your thoughts. He is the master manipulator. And his move is to twist truth just enough to try to get you to believe a lie. And his goal with every doubt, every discouragement, every lie is to get in the way of your relationship with God. But here's the truth. The biggest battle you will fight is in your mind. They're strong, and it's going to be fierce, but you are not a victim. You do not have to be a victim to Satan's attacks on your mind. You belong to the victorious king of kings, and you can fight back. You've been given the weaponry that you need to fight back. Your salvation in Christ is the protection that your mind needs as you walk through this life, but you have to use the helmet you've been given. See, if our mind is the enemy's target, then we need to make sure that we are protecting our minds, not only from him, but also from the garbage of this world and the things that are in direct opposition to Christ and the way he calls us to live. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, as believers, we need to be really intentional about the thoughts and the things that we're allowing into our minds. Paul knew the importance of the mind and the pull of the enemy and the things that the world has on our thinking. And so he said, we've got, to be in, we've got to be renewing our minds in Christ each day. And we can do this because of our salvation in him. And we can, we can protect our minds with that. And thankfully, Paul tells us about ways to renew our mind later on in Scripture. In Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. So Paul says to fill our minds and to think on the things of God. So that means that we need to be praying. That means that we need to be in the word, that we need to be applying scripture to our minds and to our thinking every single day. And then Paul says, after you filled your mind with the things of God, then you need to put them into practice. And basically he's saying, let your thinking impact the way you live. And Jesus did this when he was being tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4. His mind was focused on God. He continually renewed his mind each day, and because of that, he was able to resist that temptation and to defeat the enemy's lies in that moment. And the best way to recognize when the enemy is attacking is to know the truth that's found in Scripture. The more that we know truth, the more that our minds are filled with it, the easier it is to recognize the lie when the enemy presents that to us. And when he does attack, we can fight back because our minds are set on Christ. And we've got the weaponry that we need to fight back. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Satan is going to try to go after your mind. He's going to try to set things up in your mind that go directly against the knowledge of God, what you know about him. But we don't have to stand for it. We can take things like doubt or discouragement or deception and tear them down with our helmets. And we no longer have to be victims to those attacks. And that's a really freeing truth to know, that you can change your thoughts, that you can control those things, that you can tear them down because of Jesus. Your salvation allows you to think differently, to recognize when the enemy is coming against you and to protect you from those attacks. So when the enemy starts tempting you to doubt your salvation or your identity in Christ, do what Jesus did. Recognize who it is that's coming against you. Take that doubt, discouragement, whatever it is you're facing, and hold it up against the truth of Scripture. Everything you need to know about who you are in Christ or your salvation or him is written in his word. And so everything you need to tear down those arguments and to stand against that is available to you as a born-again believer in Christ and in his word. So use it. Memorize it. Speak it out loud against the doubt, discouragement, whatever it is you're facing. Proclaim who you are in Christ and take the things that Satan is using to come after your mind with and replace it with truth. Replace it with that you are a child of God, that you are chosen, loved, forgiven, that you belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And nothing, not even the doubt or the discouragement that Satan is throwing at you can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, your relationship with Jesus gives you the power to come against the enemy, to tear down the things that he is trying to uh, put into your minds. And the helmet of salvation is the last piece of the armor that we take into battle with us. Your mind needs that protection because the biggest battles happen in our minds. And so now that you know all this, now that you know who you are in Christ, now that you know about the helmet of salvation, you can be fully protected. You can confidently engage the enemy knowing that Jesus is your protection, that he is each piece of your defensive armor. He is the truth that is buckled around your waist. He is your righteousness and defends your heart against deadly blows of the enemy. He is your peace, and with him you will always walk in peace. He is your protects, he renews, and he enables you to live in light of your salvation each day. And now that you are fully covered, because that was the final piece of the defensive armor that we're to wear, now that you're fully covered, you can stand firm in the battle. You can fight the enemy from the place of victory because you belong to the victorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he does not lose battles ever. And he will cover you as you fight against the enemies and against the enemy and his attack each day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, that you are our salvation, Lord, that you are each piece of the armor, Lord, that we don't have to do anything to earn these pieces, that we're just called to put them on. Lord, thank you for giving us the protection that we need to walk through this messy and broken world, Lord, to walk through this world knowing that we walk with you, that you are victorious, that every battle we fight, you've already won. So God, I pray that you would remind us of that. Lord, as we're facing different things, um, we're going through different trials or struggles, Lord, that you would remind us that every battle is won. And that one day the ultimate victory will come and that we will be with you forever and there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more battles to fight, that everything will be perfect because we will be with you, in you, Lord, for eternity. God, I thank you for your truth in Scripture, and I thank you for the reminder that you fight for us every single day. Amen. So this morning, we're going to end our service by singing the chorus of Sound Mind. Um, And if you don't, I know, I realize it's a new song, um, but my old youth pastor used to say, if you know it, sing. If you don't know it, sing louder. Because if you're singing for Jesus, it all sounds great. Um, So I invite you to stand with us and sing Sound Mind.
morning we are going to end a little bit different. We're going to be singing the benediction, and the choir is going to be leading us in that. And so as you go from this place this morning, I want you to remember the God who fights for you, the God who works for you in any situation that you are facing. And so don't let the doubt, discouragement, lies that the enemy is trying to come against you with this morning get into your mind. And remember who you are in Christ. Enjoy this beautiful weather.